I'm Arlen Hamilton, and this is Your First Million. I'm a venture capitalist. I started my fund Backstage Capital from the ground up while I was on food stamps. I have now invested in more than 100 companies led by women, people of color, and LGBT founders. After having raised more than $10 million, people often ask me how I did it. I created this podcast so I could tell you my story and so that together we could go on a journey and speak with some of the most successful people in the world from all backgrounds and walks of life to learn how they got their first million. And who knows, maybe I'll reach my first million in personal capital while I'm recording this series. There's only one way to find out. Let's go. Hey everyone, it's Arlen. This is a bonus episode. If you're new to bonus episodes on this podcast, they're pretty much open, free form. I can talk about a subject for 30 minutes or I can uh, interview someone on the fly or like today I can do something a little bit different and I'm going to play some audio clips from video clips that I recently recorded. So uh, in Los Angeles, I and several of my colleagues from Backstage Capital work out of a co-working spot called The Riveter. And The Riveter is for women uh, and for everyone with uh, a kind of a feminist slant to it. So anyone can sign up for it and work there, but it's a place made for women to be comfortable. And so we have... Um, several of our of our teammates are working out of there. We actually did the Los Angeles Accelerator. If you're familiar with that, we did that out of that spot. This is not a paid advertisement from them, um, although we do have uh, multiple arrangements with them. Some of it, we, we are investors in them and we have um, uh, partnerships with them. But this is not that. This is just, honestly, I was like, I saw these video clips that I recorded several days ago and I saw them on the site just came up today and I said, well, I know not everyone's going to get to see those videos. There is some interesting information in it and I just want to like plug you all in so you can hear it on the go. And so what this is, is the Riveter and Backstage, which is the venture fund that I created and that now 25 people work at across the country and in the UK, the Riveter, which is a co-working spot and backstage got together and are doing office hours. So I'm doing some office hours, but mostly it's the team, the amazing team that is uh, around the country doing these office hours. And we're starting it online so that almost anyone with, with the ability to can, can sign up. I would suggest going to the Riveters website. Again, this isn't an ad, so I'm not going to like dig through and find out what that is, but it's, it's the Riveter. So you can look like, you know, Rosie, the Riveter. Uh, you can look it up, and I suggest going there to hear more about it. You can go to you can um, go to Backstage Capital, hear more about us. But this is really just going to be like I don't know four or five or six different topics, questions that came in, and then I answered them. And I took two to five minutes answering each question, and I actually think you can get some bits and pieces from it. It's not just for tech entrepreneurs, it's for everyone. It's for anyone who has a gig. So like if I say in an answer, you know, if you're raising money for your venture, for your startup, you can just apply that and say, hey, if you're if you're trying to get a, a different job or if you're trying to get a get a promotion or make more money somewhere or do a side hustle, just adapt it to whatever your circumstances are and I think it'll be really helpful. I hope so at least. 
that's the that's the hope. So let me know. Um, I have a lot of fun with these bonus episodes because they can just really be anything. And I'm going to do more and more experimenting with them and see how they go. I will say that the last bonus episode I did about stage fright and trying to conquer that in some way, it was the most listened to bonus episode we've had. And that's with it only being less than a week old and every other bonus episode being several weeks old. So something about that resonated with you all. And I'm happy to do more of those. So take a listen to this one. Also, send me, continue to send me questions and comments and let me know what you want me to talk about on the next bonus episode. All right, everyone, please enjoy. Hi, I'm Arlen Hamilton. I'm the founder of Backstage Capital, and this is my Riveter Office Hours. The first question we got was, what is something you seek in a good investor besides money? And I'm assuming they mean what I who what I look for and what you should look for. So I think they're both. Um, I have to uh, raise money from investors just the same way that I um, the people come to me for investment. So I've seen it from both sides. I am always looking for someone who gets me and who feels like they understand. I don't have to explain myself too much to them. Now, obviously, it's important that I know what I'm talking about and that I can answer questions that are critical questions. But when it comes to who I am as a person and why I'm doing what I'm doing, I don't have to justify that as much with uh, really solid investors that end up being aligned I think that's important. Um, someone who, uh, in, in the same vein, respects my customer and respects your customer. So my customer actually is founders, our founders. Um, I am, they are what make the company that I run work. So a, an investor in my fund who does not respect our customers, the founders, the underrepresented, underestimated founders, is not going to be aligned. So someone who you're talking to and who may invest, but you hear them say something or ask a question in a certain way that makes you understand that they do not necessarily respect the person who is going to be spending their hard-earned money on your product, you don't want them in your orbit. They're going to be toxic for you. Um, Someone who thinks boldly. So... um, Someone who is not afraid of a risk because the startup game and the venture game are really, really, really tough. And they're years and years and years of your life. And no matter how much money you have, I've talked to people with all types of money and people who have bootstrapped all from every angle. And no matter how much money you have, it's re- it can get really tough. So if you don't have someone who is dreaming big with you, you might um, run into some issues where they're constantly looking over your shoulder or second-guessing you. And no matter how much money they put in, they shouldn't, um, they should be in this to for you all to win. And sometimes some, there are some people who are just a little bit too risk-averse um, to be investing in startups. They should be investing in, in something that's a little less risky. And then someone who has an expertise that I don't have, 
or has connections that I don't have. So that person is going to be saving me time and money by being efficient and helping me with a problem or with a, with a challenge by giving me some of their expertise or some of their advice. They're also going to be doing the same thing if they can make that that e- they make that phone call or that email or that text that I need in that moment to the right person and they know who the right person is. That's really going to be someone who's a valuable investor for you. So that's what we try to be at Backstage and that's what we look for in our investors. The next question that was submitted is, what are the top three things you would advise a startup to do? Um, I would say research and study your market and your product and your company like it's your craft. Uh, Know it better than anyone else and do as much research as you need to, even if that means uh, waiting a while to get fully started. I think people underestimate that importance and the power of, of that research and always be learning. I'd also say get to know your customer better than anyone else and above all else. Make sure that they need and want the product or service that you are selling because sometimes we get caught up in what we think is a good product and service or what we would like to see and we don't do enough market research to understand uh, and talk to customers, like talk to them, survey them, talk to them one-on-one, interview them give them free samples or uh, describe what you would be creating and really make sure that this is something that people would want and something that they would pay for. And the third is to slow down in order to speed up. And what I mean by that is kind of going back to the first two things, which is about being very thoughtful and strategic. So taking a few beats before you make really important decisions Um, will save you time in the long run because you don't need to fix as much, which can cost time, money, energy. So it's slowing down now in order to be able to speed through uh, other parts of the process. The next question is, what factor would make you turn down a company immediately? Um, So that would take a lot. It would take a lot for me to just say no point blank. But I think it would be someone who really broached, stepped over personal boundaries or professional boundaries in a a harsh way because it would signal to me that they may treat their vendors or their customers or their employees uh, poorly. And that is not someone I want to be in business with. And this is a business transaction that's uh, highly um, uh, predicated on on being kind of a decent person. And so if you get in touch with me or with someone on our team at Backstage and you have blatantly crossed a line, like showing up at someone's home or calling someone in the middle of the night or um, uh, posting something online that is just really personal uh, just to get someone's attention. I've seen these happen very rarely. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And so that to me is not just because I'm upset that you've, you've kind of gone past this personal boundary, but it is a signal 
of what you might do for, for something else that you wanted badly enough. And that, you know, life is just too short for that. Life is too short to be working with people who don't respect you or respect your boundaries. So it, it is difficult sometimes because you're, as a founder, I think you're given all these signals of, of you know, hustling and, and hacking your way and doing things in a bold way. And sometimes it's different, you know, investors will have different tastes and what they'd like and how far you can go. So it's not like it's um, necessarily written out for you exactly how you're supposed to act or if this would be taken the wrong way. But I do think there are some things that kind of speak for themselves. So don't um, show up at someone's home. Uh, don't, uh, there was someone who who flew to LA from the East Coast and, and lived at the airport for a few days because she read that I did once. And then she said she was not going to leave LA until I spoke to her about investing. To me, that is not someone that I want to spend years and years and years getting to know. That is someone who is um, comes across as desperate and it comes across as a little bit, um, you know, it, it's it's more, more than professional at that point. It's more of a, a counseling at that point. And so, you know, if that can be a, um, if that can be someone's case study for what not to do, then I'm happy to talk about it. But yeah, just in general, remember that you're dealing with other humans and treat them the way you'd want to be treated. If you don't want someone to pop up, if you don't want a customer to pop up at your dinner while you're out with your family, don't do that to an investor. If you don't want someone to call you on a number that you don't have listed, don't do that to an investor. It's just things like that. The next question is, when do you know that your company is ready for an accelerator? Well, as many of you know, we started Backstage Accelerator. Uh, we launched it fall of 2018 and had our first cohort in our four city accelerator this year. And so we've gotten to see a lot of, uh, of data points here. I think it varies. So it's important again to, it goes back to research research the accelerator that you want to go into, or uh, actually, I, th I suggest you apply to several accelerators. I don't think you should put all of your uh, eggs in one basket because the, uh, the numbers of getting in, the percentages who get in is just so low just based on how many applicants there are. So for instance, at Backstage, we got 1,900 applications and let in 24 companies. So I think you're you're doing a disservice by only um, applying to one accelerator. And I, I love accelerators and um, I think there's room for plenty of them. But you do your research and understand that some accelerators are going to want you uh, with a lot more traction than someone else. So for instance, Y Combinator says that they will invest in you and bring you into the program even at the idea stage. So if you have a good idea with other things, other you know, pieces of traction that they enjoy, or if your idea is bold enough, they will interview you and see you. So, you know, do a lot of research on that. 500 Startups um, says, uh, I think at this point, you need to have about $10,000 in monthly re recurring revenue to get into 500 Startups. That's not how it started, though. And their earlier uh, cohorts, they did not have that threshold. But you have to understand that accelerators themselves are evolving. So an accelerator may start year one with some type of uh, traction that they need. And then by cohort four or five, be at a different stage where they're seeing more and more competition and it's harder and harder to get in. So 
understand where the accelerator itself is in its life. Uh, Techstars, again, is, is different because they're going to be making more concentrated bets that are more verticalized than a YC is going to make. So understanding the different profiles of the accelerator, it really is not about... Uh, one form answer. And there's my LaCroix. Thank you. <laughs> it's not about one form answer. It's about where you, do you feel like um, the capital? Yes, that's part of it. But more importantly, spending the three, four, six months with that group, is that going to be the right inflection point for you? Are you at a place where you can take critical analysis and, and feedback and turn that into something? Do you, do you, um, have you gotten to the point where you can, um, where that amount of money, whether it's 20,000 or 100,000 or more, is really going to move the needle for you? Or do you feel like you, uh, should spend some more time in the lab. And it's going to be on an individual basis. And my suggestion, again, is to do as much research as you can and apply to several uh, accelerators that are in your lane, that you feel like you'd get something, that you'd be proud to get a yes from. Uh, that, is, that is, I think, the solid uh, strategy there. Okay, the last question for today is... What's the best way to avoid losing too much equity in your company to venture capitalists? Well, I'm a VC, and I don't want you to lose a lot of equity to me or to anyone else. I think it has a lot to do with uh, understanding your value. And I say this a lot about humans, but like your value of your company, understanding your value, what you have to offer, so that you don't get in a position where you are uh, desperate. I say be hungry, not thirsty. You are not, um, your, your job as a co-founder, a CEO, whatever role you have at the company in early stages, your job is not to go out and find any money that will be thrown at you or that you can scrape your way to. That is a desperate positioning. You want more leverage than that. Your job is to build the value of your company so that if you do need to go out and get debt, or if you need to go out and get venture capital or angel rounds or any or crowd equity funding, any of that, that you can do it at a valuation that is more in line with what you're worth. And so I can tell you this from personal experience. Um, I, I, for most of my life, did not understand my value. And I would put that would translate to me uh, charging. Uh, too little for things that I built with my hands. And that also translated when I started getting to startups of, of giving away too much equity and something that is obviously gone on to be very valuable. So in the early stages, um, you don't, you, you can get caught up, you know, fundraising, I've never enjoyed it. I've never enjoyed fundraising, but for some people it can be exciting because if you get that first hundred thousand or, you know, a million, if you get a lot of money, you hear about it, it can be kind of intoxicating. You need to be really grounded and have people around you to keep you grounded and understand that nothing is for free. You're getting a million dollars. Maybe you heard it in a movie. Maybe your friend raised money. Maybe you've read about it. Maybe you've even seen what Backstage Capital is doing and say, yeah, I want that. Really understand that what you're doing is selling pieces of you. You're selling pieces of you flesh 
from you. Uh, you know, uh, every time someone hands you money, they now have more and more uh, ownership of your company and in some ways of you. So as things progress, if you gave away 30, 40, 50% of your company in the very first round because you heard that big number and that cash felt so intoxicating to you, now you're, you're out of luck uh, for the rest of it. You, you, you leave uh, the, 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 the ending, the exit that you have uh, is, is heavily diluted by that point in most cases. So my suggestion to you is to talk to founders who have raised money. Talk to them after they have raised the money. The money goes away eventually, and then you still have given away your equity. So it needs to it needs to have an impact on you. It needs to have a little bit of a pain so that you don't do it over and over again. I would suggest there's uh, I have a new podcast called Your First Million, where I wanted to ask that same question: How does it feel to have the money once you have it? There are some interviews on Your First Million podcast with founders. There's one with Don Dixon from our portfolio where she talks about the money, how she raised a million and then it disappeared. And then she had to raise another million. And it's a really good conversation. Ask people who have done it. Don't be afraid to ask to meet up with someone and ask them how they feel. And don't be afraid to not be the person in your group who, who uh, to, to, to be the person who didn't raise venture capital. It's uh, if, if you can't describe what venture capital is, if you can't give a definition of what venture capital is, you should not be out raising it. So think about that. That's just my opinion. And uh, it's been a lot of fun answering these questions. Thanks. Hey, so I'd love to talk to you and keep the conversation going. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Arlen was here. That's A-R-L-A-N was here. Stick around too, because I will let you know when my new book is going to be in pre-order. Now that's coming out in the, uh, 2020. It'll be out as a real book. Oh my goodness. And it'll be, you'll be able to pre-order it most likely this year. So stay tuned. I'll let you know all about that on Twitter, on Instagram, and on this podcast. Your First Million is produced and edited by Anna Eichenauer and senior producer Brian Landers. Additional audio mixing and mastering by Alfred Rook Hamilton. Additional production by Chacho Valadez. Executive producer Arlen Hamilton.